Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Cigarettes would be insulated from the full impacts of inflation under a proposal from New Zealand First Minister Casey Costello. Currently, tobacco excise is increased each year in line with the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. RNZ understands that the Associate Health Minister is proposing a three-year freeze on CPI-related excise increases for smoked tobacco. Investigative journalist Guyan Espiner has the story and joins us now. Kia ora, good morning, Guyan. Kia ora, good morning. Now, you've been digging into the government's plans for reform of tobacco and vaping laws. So what have you, what have you found out? Yeah, well, the big thing that we didn't know is that Casey Costello is proposing this three-year freeze on CPI-related excise increases for smoked tobacco. But interestingly, when RNZ put that to her in an interview, Casey Costello said she hadn't looked at it. She said, quote, I've had no discussions on that at all, uh, that, quote, it's not even something I specifically sought advice on, and that, quote, I haven't looked at a freeze on the excise at all. But RNZ has seen a Ministry of Health document that was sent to Casey Costello which says the minister is proposing to freeze the excise uh, tax. The document says, quote, the additional information you provided to us proposes also to freeze the excise on smoked tobacco for three years. And while Minister Costello told RNZ she had not asked for advice on this issue, the Ministry of Health document that I've seen appears to contradict that. Uh, The document that was sent to Minister Costello asked whether she would like advice on the implications of a three-year freeze on CPI-related excise increases for smoked tobacco. Now, in the document, the yes option is circled. Uh, This is a document signed by the minister on the 20th of December. 2023. Uh, Now, while Casey Costello would not confirm to RNZ that she was proposing this freeze on excise increases, she did say she had some sympathy with the idea because she said there's a high cost being paid by the people who can least afford it here because they have an addiction to nicotine and we are continuing to penalise that demographic of society. So... Basically, she's saying, look, they're addicted, they've been hammered financially, maybe it's time to give them a break. Most in the public health space do not and will not see it that way. I spoke with Janet Hook, who is a professor of public health at the University of Otago. She said that this move would effectively insulate tobacco from the full impacts of inflation. She believes that's wrong, uh, given the impact that price rises have had. We've been hammering smokers, as as you know, Corin, with excise increases, uh, especially since 2011. They've gone up hugely as, as Smokers would know. Janet Hock agrees um, that smokers are struggling financially, but says the best way to manage that is to help them quit. Yeah, just on that, so the increase in infl- with the rate of inflation, but there had been bigger increases by the previous government, is that right? That's right. There'd been, um, I think it was 10% plus right, CPI, yeah. wasn't it? And and so they, they went up massively. Uh, that was in the John Key years, um, so th- th- those increases were, were well above uh, CPI. Right, okay. Now, uh, other plans? What is the minister looking at when it comes to tobacco and vaping? Well, RNZ understands that um, the minister is also proposing to remove the excise tax from smokeless tobacco products. Now, this is where the tobacco is heated to a vapour, right, rather than burned. Now, that could deliver a win for companies who produce what are known as heated tobacco products. So Philip Morris, they've spent um, years lobbying that their ICOS product 
you get these little sticks of tobacco and you insert them into an e-cigarette, right? And it's it's heated and it produces a vapour rather than smoke. Now, Philip Morris has argued that they should get a tax break because they're safer than cigarettes. Currently, those little tobacco sticks are taxed for excise under a category called other tobacco. You don't need to know what that means, but effectively it's a, a similar excise rate to ordinary smoked tobacco, right? So back in 2018, Philip Morris told the government's tax working group, that was the Cullen working group back in the day on the tax system, they said that their ICOS device yields about 10% of the levels of harmful constituents that are found in cigarette smoke and that the tax system should reward the safer product. Now, Philip Morris urged the government back then to establish a tax rate for these heated tobacco products significantly below the tax rate for smoked tobacco. Again, I went to um, Janet Hook on this, the public professor of health at University of Otago. She said that the, the policy that's being put forward here would be, quote, an enormous win for tobacco companies like Philip Morris and other companies, tobacco companies developing these uh, heated tobacco products. It's her view that, you know, you need more evidence that these devices help people quit and are less harmful before we create what she's describing as financial incentives for these products. And, of course, just, you know, once again, reiterating, different than vaping, these 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 cigarettes you're talking about? Yeah, this is actually tobacco that you're dealing yeah. with here, right? Not fluid. Like, so, mm. so in, in the vapes, you'll, you'll, have, um, you'll, you'll have a fluid, right? Um, it, with these, what are called either heat, not burn, because it's not combust- combustible tobacco, right? So you put in a little stick of tobacco into this thing, and it heats it to a vapour. So it's, 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 it's heating, it, it's, it's not combustible, it's not, not burning. They're smokeless tobacco products, if you like. Right. And then where does that leave things with vaping, of course? Well, we, we, the minister wants to crack down on youth vaping and RNZ understands that she's proposing a $30,000 fine for selling vapes to minors, right? Uh, when we did the interview with her, she said that, yep, yep, she wanted much harsher penalties, but, quote, hadn't looked at specific penalties. And when we asked her directly about the $30,000 fine, she said, quote, no, I haven't. And again, that may be in some reports I received, but I haven't received any advice yet in terms of what those penalties should look like and what would be reasonable. But in the document that RNZ has seen, health officials indicate the idea that a $30,000 fine the idea for this came from the minister herself. Uh, the Ministry of Document uh, sent to Costello that I've seen says, quote, the additional notes you provided us suggested including a fine of up to $30,000. So look, it, it is fair to say that there is some, on some key issues, there's a bit of distance between um, what the minister told us in the in- interview and what the documents say she's planning to do. It will be interesting, um, and I think you've got the opportunity to talk to her, it'll be interesting to see um, how she reconciles that. Indeed it will. Thank you very much. That is investigative uh, reporter, journalist Guyan Espiner there. Māori speakers at Ratana have strongly rebuked the government at its first visit to the pā uh, since taking office, calling it the enemy in a three-headed tanifa. But the Prime Minister is shrugging it off, saying the chance to hear differing views is exactly why he went. Our political reporter Giles Dexter was at Ratana. Challenge after challenge laid at the feet of the government. We have only had a couple from the three-headed Tanifa government uh, that we have in New Zealand today. We don't expect to be just spoken to. We want the opportunity to be walking side by side and working with you. Speakers at Ratana are demanding the government rule out going anywhere near the treaty. The treaty of Waitangi. Is sacrosanct. And they want to hear what the Prime Minister's much-spoken-of outcomes look like, saying, so far, it's all looked like rollbacks. Repeal this, disestablish that, abolish this, 
all in the negative framing of the language. So we're asking, what is the plan, Prime Minister? The government knew it'd be stepping into a cauldron. New Zealand First speakers came prepared. I love debate. Come to Waitangi. I will see you there. Tēnā koutou katoa. As Elvis would say, you're looking for trouble, you've come to the right place. You see what I mean? Christopher Luxon is unperturbed by the response he got, saying the opportunity to hear people's views is exactly why he came and that behind the scenes, the conversations were productive. I enjoy being here, and I don't mind the provocation, I don't mind the challenge. It's important to be able to hear those voices and that perspective. Uh, And what I can tell you is that actually I've come come away with, actually again, building and deepening a relationship with people that I want to do business with and I want to partner with to get better outcomes for New Zealanders. There also came a call for the red, green and black to unite against an enemy. Labour jumped on it. They're certainly our opponents and we welcome Māoridom support. For Shane Jones, it's all just water off a duck's back. I sense that the mania that gripped iwi in the seabed and foreshore is starting to trickle through over the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. The Prime Minister reiterated National has no intention to support Act's Treaty Principles Bill past Select Committee, if not completely ruling it out. I don't know how to be any clearer about it. There is no commitment to support it beyond a first reading. From all three parties signed up for that. But Parliament will still spend some of its valuable time on what now appears to be a doomed bill. It's the reality of a coalition agreement uh, where you actually have to come together and our system forces parties that are not all the same. The person who got the bill into the coalition agreement was the day's notable absentee. But David Seymour says the debate is much more appropriate at Parliament, where everyone can have their say, than Ratna. I think when people say that somehow uh, Ratana uh, is the sine qua non uh, of political discussion in New Zealand, they might be jumping a few sharks. Ratana is usually seen as the quiet welcome to the political year. If that was quiet... The government can expect a furnace at Waitangi just under two weeks' time. Giles Dexter with that report there. As former All Black Byron Callagher faces allegations of domestic violence in France, the celebrated rugby star's long history of violence against women has come to light. RNZ has uncovered details of a string of alleged assaults Callagher carried out against women for over a decade. I spoke with our in-depth reporter, Dana Johansson, and started by asking for details about the case in Paris last week. Yes, so quite a flurry of headlines last week. According to the police complaint, the charges follow an alleged assault against his former partner in June last year. Um, That was at their Paris home. The, The police case outlines further incidents of abuse in the relationship, including a violent altercation in Mauritius in February 2023, uh, in which local police were forced to intervene, and two incidents in Monaco in May that year. The complainant's statement to police also describes how verbal and physical violence were a frequent occurrence over their tumultuous relationship that began in 2010 and ended in 2015 after she gave birth to their son. Now, the pair apparently rekindled their relationship in 2022 when Kelleher returned to reconnect with his son. Not long after, the woman alleges the abuse continued. Now, it's important to note Kelleher has, has denied the allegations and claims he has never harmed his former partner. Now, since those reports, a second victim has gone public for the first time. What experiences did she share with you? 
Yeah, that's correct. So soon after these reports surfaced, another former partner of Kalahar's, a woman named Juliana Dester, came forward with allegations that she too was physically abused during their 16-month relationship. Um, and there are striking parallels, really, to the current case before the courts and what Miss Dester experienced. Dester alleges there were multiple episodes of physical violence, including several incidents involving strangulation. Uh, she's provided RNZ with photos and documented evidence of the abuse, which occurred in Bali, Bangkok, Cyprus, Barcelona and Auckland uh, throughout 2018 and 2019. In one particularly serious incident, Kalaha spent two days in jail in Barcelona following an alleged assault in a hotel room in which Dester claims that he punched her, choked her and then held a pillow over her face. Uh, Dester later elected not to press charges. Why is Ms. Ms. Dester speaking out now? Yeah, the reports last week of Kalaha being before the courts again on domestic violence were really the catalyst to her coming forward. Um, she says she never felt that she could speak out during their relationship because she was stuck in this sort of cycle of abuse. Uh, but now she says hearing another woman suffering similar harm has encouraged her to finally go public. Kalaha has been before the courts in France previously, so what do we know of these cases? That's correct. Yeah, alcohol and violence really seem to be common threads in Kelleher's previous brushes with the law. In March 2017, you may recall, he was found guilty of domestic violence in order to pay a $300 fine by the Correctional Court of Toulouse following an incident in which he assaulted his then partner. Uh, these are not the, the, the other two victims that have come forward and caused damage to a door while heavily intoxicated. Uh, he also has two drink driving offences in France, one in 2013, the other in 2009. And when can we expect an outcome in the current case before the French courts? So a spokesperson for the prosecutor for the Paris Judicial Court confirmed to RNZ this week that the trial is set to begin on May 6th this year. And that was in-depth reporter Dana Johansson there. Well, Māori will not sit idly by should the government attempt to meddle with Te Tiriti o Waitangi. That's the message from yesterday's annual Ratna celebrations held near Whanganui. Politicians from across the spectrum flocked to Ratna Pa only a few days after the weekend's national hui called by Kingi to Haitia. The celebrations were full of kororo from visiting politicians and Māori leaders. Te Taipa Kaometa is a representative from Ratna Pa. He joins me now. Tēnā koe. Tēnā koe. Good morning to everybody. Nice to talk to you. Uh, Shane Jones says he's the first politician that he can recall that was booed at Ratana. Was that a surprise? Was that something that you were particularly pleased with? No, no, no. no. I, I won't probably use the word boo, but um, uh, there were some conversations that did happen that uh, didn't quite sit well with um, Shane Jones. I guess this is the dynamics of, of the Pai Pai, and when you speak, sometimes of uh uh, you shouldn't be taking um, the, the messages personally um, when it's directed, not um, um, personally, but by the sheer frustration of how the Māori people are feeling at the moment. I mean, I guess the point he would make and that Winston Peters might make, and, the, and in fact, uh, Christopher Luxon, they did front up, despite the fact that there was some, uh, you know, uh, we understand rhetoric that was directed at them, none too pleased about their policies. 
not so much their policies, but in the way that he delivered his quarter onto the pipeline. Um, and saying that the relationship that uh, um, Shane and, and Winston has had uh, with Rata Mapa throughout the years has been magnificent, and I don't think anything's changed except um, for the quarter that has been happening, particularly around Te Tiriti or Waitangi, as you mentioned. So the Prime Minister yesterday uh, reiterated in his speech that they would be honouring the treaty. What did you take to mean from that statement? Did that offer any reassurance about the current debate? Um, Well, absolutely, and it's always good to hear um, that our Prime Minister um, is listening in, in, in that part. Um, unfortunately, it comes um, after um, quite a while where our people are still trying to get their head around the message because all we hear at the moment is um, uh, the, the principles of the Tiriti or Waitangi are changing. And so if there's anything that the Prime Minister is promising, I guess lay it out on the pipeline to everybody publicly so that we actually do understand what it is that you're saying. However, I probably, I think I know that it's not just quite as easy as that, um, but if that's the word from the Prime Minister, then we'll certainly be holding him to account. The principles of the of the, the treaty are interesting, aren't they? they? These have developed over time as a result of a recon, needing to reconcile the differences between the two texts. They've come through the judiciary, they've evolved, various governments have effectively uh, carried out or created laws that then have to adhere to principles of the treaty and this sort of thing. This is where the debate is at. Does changing the principles of the treaty amount to abolishing the treaty, as some have said? Well, I think uh, at the end of the day, it's the intent of why Arangatira signed the treaty in the first place. Um, Rahui did mention in his paikōrero to the Prime Minister that if they do have any trouble uh, interpreting Te Reo Māori as it should stand as the mana motuhake of Te Tiriti, then we are most happy to help them translate the, uh, uh, the Māori context so that everybody, every New Zealander actually understands rather than having people pretend that they know uh, what the Te Reo Māori is and then obviously uh, by default falling back on the English version which is a totally different version to Te Reo Māori. So do you, you don't believe there is a need to look at the principles at all, even if, if it could be done in, in a way that was less divisive, uh, or are they fit for purpose? I, I believe, oh, well, definitely, most definitely, um, and always is um, most definitely the uh, principles of utility or Waitangi, but I guess at the end of the day what I'm trying to say is that the intent of, of, of the uh, signing of utility or Waitangi is more important, and then when we look at um, the principles of utility or Waitangi, as we know, Ngā Uara of utility or Waitangi, uh, we'll find um, Maramatango understanding of the intent of our Rangatira signing utility or Waitangi. Kia ora, thank you. Appreciate your time this morning. Te Taipa Kameta is uh, represented from the Ratana Par, of course, where the politicians uh, visited yesterday, as they do every year. Now, researchers are piecing together what they know about Auckland's extensive network of lava caves. Dāmaki Makoto is built on a large, potentially active volcanic field made up of 53 volcanoes. No need to remind us of that. There are at least 200 known lava caves, some reaching almost 300 metres long. The sites are culturally significant to Māori. Auckland University Masters student Jackson Ingold is documenting their locations and he is with us now. Uh, kia ora, good morning.
morning, Jackson. How many more of these caves do you think are out there and, and why is it important that we know where they are? Yes, good morning. Um, so we are um, currently aware of around 200 lava caves um, beneath um, the Auckland region, um, but we are um, discovering around one a month. So that's, um, that's quite a few. Yeah, how, how, how are they being discovered? Um, so um, as you said, the Auckland volcanic field is, um, we do have 53 volcanoes, um, and these volcanoes produced lava flows. Um, and these lava flows are, they're now cool, they're now solid rock, but they sit quite close to the surface. So as people are, um, as people are doing their developments, if they are doing excavations, um, they are um, quite often um, digging into lava caves, discovering them um, in that way. And so what you want people to do is let you know so we can get a good comprehensive understanding of where these all are? That would be amazing. If if people discover them or if they know of ones that we may not know of, um, it would be brilliant if you could get in touch with the um, Natural Features team at Auckland Council. Are they um, a, a problem in terms of stability? Um, well, that's something that we're trying to figure out. Some of them... Um, some of them have um, naturally collapsed, so they are like they have been open to the surface, and that's how we've discovered them. Um, but um, it's, I'm not entirely sure if I imagine some of them are quite solid at the moment. How long do you think this project is going to last for? Um, well, I'm working on the project. I am um, I'm handing in in June, so I'm um, I guess six months for me. But I'm trying to trying to work on the project in a way that we can continue building on it, that we mm. can continue to update it as we find new lava caves and we can continue working with um, all the stakeholders and partners who are interacting with these caves. Yeah, great work. Um, I was speaking with Nathan earlier. His uh, flatmate found one at the back of their garage, so they are popping up all over the place. Uh, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, about that. That was uh, Jackson Ingold from the Auckland University, and that is us for the day. We will catch you back here again in the morning. Donald Trump has attacked his only remaining rival for the Republican nomination for staying in the U.S. presidential race after he won the New Hampshire primary. He mocked the former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley, who lost to him by around 10 points, as a loser who was still hanging around. I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. But let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night. I'm up and I'm watching, and I said, she's taking a victory lap. And we, we beat her so badly, she was... But Ron beat her also. You know, Ron came in second, and he left. She came in third, and she's still hanging around. Well, Ms. Haley says she would fight on, saying that she stands a better chance against Joe Biden than the former president does. For the latest, we're joined uh, by Philip Crowther. Uh, from New Hampshire. Uh, Philip, uh, Nikki Haley is going to come under huge pressure to quit this race, already is. Uh, will she? It doesn't look like it. Uh, it's true uh, what the former president says in a way. She was able to dress up what was not a great night for her with an 11% difference between her score and Donald Trump's, and she still managed to make it look like somewhat of a victory. It is true that her result has improved from the Iowa caucuses last week, and she now is hoping for an even better result in South Carolina in her home state. That is, by the way, very unlikely. So she says she's staying in this race, but the next competitive primary in South Carolina is a whole month away 
And so much can happen in U.S. politics in one month. And you talked about the pressure. It will come from many sides. First of all, from Donald Trump himself and from his campaign. They want to pivot toward the general election already. By the way, Democrats as well and the Joe Biden campaign also want this to turn into a Biden v. Trump uh, rematch as quickly as possible. They are essentially announcing Donald Trump as the candidate already. Why? Because they think they have a better chance of winning against him than against Nikki Haley. And finally, there might be some pressure from, well, simply the lack of money as well, uh, because at some point, Republican donors will want to move on and support their candidate against Joe Biden rather than one of the candidates in a primary. Does she stay in the race simply because there's a chance that Donald Trump might get uh, affected or knocked out by one of these, uh, one of the legal issues that he's facing? Or is that starting to sort of ebb away as a threat to him? I think it is. Uh, it is not being considered as a serious threat to his campaign yet. Uh, there are a lot of trials that could happen this year, but quite a few of them are unlikely to happen because what Donald Trump is very good at when it comes to uh, legal problems is he manages to push things further down the line, meaning he'll, he'll be able to delay these trials quite significantly. And what we've seen in terms of his popularity is it simply has not been affected uh, by his legal troubles. Uh, in fact, it looks like they might have improved his standing among re Republican voters as the man who is up against it, the outsider who the establishment is out to get. That's the picture that he's been painting. And that's a picture that largely his voters uh, believe in as well. So why is Nikki Haley staying in, in the race? Well, she feels like she has to stay in it until her home state comes along. She was the governor of South Carolina. She'll be campaigning there quite a lot over the next month. Uh, but it all depends on whether her supporters stay with her, whether those donors stay with her, whether the money dries up or not. I think Frankly, quite a lot can still happen between now and the South Carolina primary. Philip, thank you very much for that. Philip Crowther there with the latest from New Hampshire following that uh, primary. We'll wait now, of course, uh, for another month or so till the next one. Well, we are joined now by Associate Health Minister Casey Costello. Kia ora, good morning, Minister. We'll start with this discrepancy. Firstly, you said that you didn't seek advice on a freeze on excise tax for cigarettes. Ministry documents indicate that you did. How do you explain that? Um, no, I think what I said is that I hadn't sought specific advice. And I think if you kind of appreciate the legislative process, um, there is a huge amount of documentation of which I've sought a broad range of advice. And that the document um, listed a number of areas where I'm seeking advice and in the interview I made it very clear that I want to seek as much information as possible um, and that the consideration around excise tax was a list of a number of things that were being looked at. It wasn't something that I had gone to them and said I specifically want to look at this area. No, but it was included in areas that you did want to look at, so it's not the only thing that you looked at as in that specific, but it was included in the information that you requested, implications of a three-year freeze. Yeah, and, and as I said to um, Diane, that I had sympathy for looking at those options um, but I hadn't sought specific advice, it's, it's, and I, as I made it very clear, I was seeking a whole range of advice. Okay, I just need to pull you but up on that again, because in terms of that specific issue, there was a yes option that had been circled on a document that was signed by you. Yes, and they said that they would, would I like information on it, which I do. Um, but I think, step back a bit, um, the, the statement has been made, made repeatedly that I'm proposing something 
I'm not proposing something at all. None of these points that have been raised are proposed. You are investigating the possibility of that. Yes, and I'm seeking advice. Before I propose anything, I think it would be sound and logical to seek broad advice on a range of issues. We're dealing with just under 300,000 people who are daily smokers. They are now addicted smokers. And I'm committed to looking at the very best options to getting those people away from smoking. Well, the evidence points to the very best option being to raise the price. That's what's worked in the past. There's evidence that raising the price of cigarettes has worked in reducing the number of people who smoke. Actually, I'll correct you on that. Statistically, the thing that has worked the most, particularly for wahine Māori, was vaping. That has been the most effective solution. And while we're dealing with a a group of New Zealanders who unfortunately sit within the socio-demographic can least afford this this cost... Okay, I'm just going to go back to that point about price because there's a Cabinet briefing paper in terms of what's, you know, before vapes even came along, what had tipped things was the rising the price of cigarettes. There's a Cabinet paper back in 2020 confirming that. Yeah, and if you look to the statistics most recently in terms of the number we have reduced, the, the, the recent impact of vaping has been the most successful. Sure, OK. In I addition to the price increases that were already happening, why make cigarettes cheaper? That we're not making them cheaper. Well, they would well, be cheaper than if you had taken a hands-off approach. If you uh, further investigate or even looking at uh, making cigarettes cheaper by, by introducing that change? We're not dropping the price at all. No, but you're not increasing them as fast as they would. We are not, and we are looking at, and we're not doing anything. Again, I'm reiterating: this is not a proposal. This is options that are being advice is being sought on, and it is to freeze the excise tax. This does not affect inflation. This is freezing the excise tax, and again, not proposed just something that has offered they, the um, Ministry of Health has offered to provide advice on and I've agreed to. After you've asked for it. Okay. You were still looking at not increasing, the, the, the net result of this would be not increasing the price of cigarettes as much as they would increase if you were not looking at this as an option. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. If the, the thing that you're investigating would have a net effect of making cigarettes cheaper than what they would have if you made no changes? It wouldn't increase the price of them, yes. Why would it, you look at that? It, because I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the group of New Zealanders that are addicted to tobacco. This is a demographic that is carrying a burden of an addiction and continuing to financially burden them, I, I think there should be, you know, looking at those options, whether there is an opportunity to ease that burden. To make it provide, easier for them to keep smoking. No, while we provide tangible solutions as a range of options to get them away from tobacco smoking and reduce the harm of tobacco and reach the smoke-free target, which is our objective and always has been. What are you going to do? What are the, what are the mechanisms you're going to use to reach that smoke-free target? 
Well, this this is what the the document that you you're referring to is quoting. There's a range of options that are being considered around vaping, around other smokeless tobacco products. But but the, the range, range of that you're looking at is is making them cheaper. Because you're looking at not having a, an excise, having a different tax rate for the smokeless tobacco product, products. I just, I just, yeah, we're going around in circles. It is one of a range of options. Okay, what are the ones one, that are going to stop people smoking? The, the providing these quit smoking tools to include vaping products, which don't currently include, looking at smokeless tobacco products. The, the, the range of vaping products and how we provide it and make sure that we're not encouraging young people to take up vaping, but we're providing real options to get away from cigarette smoking. And it has been successful, and we, we and that's what I'm seeking advice on. Okay. Just finally on those smoke-free, smokeless tobacco uh, products, which you're putting up as an alternative to smoking, where's the evidence that they are any better for you than regular cigarettes? That's- that, that's exactly what I'm waiting for advice on. Okay. Appreciate your time this morning. That was Associate Health Minister Casey Costello. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 